Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts. I'm joined as ever by Matthew Carson. Hello. Matthew, how does it feel to be back on the BBC and The Guardian endorsed the back page podcast? Is that exciting to you? Very exciting. I am so glad that they only listened to one of the grown up episodes and <laughs> not the usual horseshit. Um, but yeah, great. I mean, I, I think both of them presented the podcast not necessarily how I would present it, which could lead to not a nasty surprise, but certainly a surprise if you just booted up the latest episode. But um, that's okay. All publicity is good publicity. Yeah, I was very, I was very chuffed with it. It was, uh, you know, very much something our parents could understand as sort of like credibility. But um, what you're saying is, Matthew, you don't think they listened to Games Court before they wrote, uh, the, <laughs> wrote the kind of like little blurbs there. You don't think that sort of happened? The old me being hung over and send it, sentencing people to death at the hands of being cut by Raiden, was it? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. and there's Johnny Sasaki shitting in a barrel. You don't get that in The Guardian. Um, no. No, I think cause they used, the BBC used a clip from the Gen uh, interview episode, which is a marvellous mm. episode, absolutely brilliant, but it is just so much more sort of sort of sophisticated and well behaved uh, than <laughs> a lot of what we do. Uh, but then that's the challenge of it. The guy on the BBC said a very nice thing that he said that you know, like whatever the topic, we seem to be quite agreeable company, which was nice. Yeah, could listen to us for hours. I think he said that was uh, very very nice. So um, be surprised and. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was sort of a nice way to sort of like uh, kick off the end of summer. I don't know what I mean by that. I think I'm just still <laughs> in the time because Famously. we're back. <laughs> the end of summer that we all celebrate. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating because the heat wave has finally dissipated a bit in the UK. When I say that, it's like cloudy and muggy as fuck oh, in bar today. I'm so um, moist. I, I Like my headphones today, it was giving me flashbacks to that E3 when I put on the headphones on the Kid Icarus demo station and like water <laughs> touched my ears and I was oh, just like, oh yeah, someone oh. else's sweat poured into my ears from those headphones. Uh, yeah, they wouldn't play this clip on the BBC, would they? I was talking about this. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's very much where my headphones are today. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, sort of similar deal, really. Just sort of like genuinely depressed by the British summer and like climate change and like reading about oil profits and Norway killing a walrus has like put my <laughs> faith in humanity at the lowest point it's ever been. And then also um, weirdly like watching Prey and thinking, how much better would the world be right now if Native Americans were like dominated America over the past few centuries and <laughs> what a better world that might be? And uh, daydreaming about that basically as um, I sort of like stare into our impending doom. But enough about that, Matthew. We're doing a draft episode. So, people remember, we did the 90s PC gaming draft. Me and Matthew thought, oh, maybe we're a bit out of our depth here. Because, you know, PC gaming, not necessarily a primary subject for us. So, you know, a little bit more for me than you, maybe, Matthew. Because I worked on PC Gamer and all that. Mm. But, uh, well, you worked on Rock Paper Shotgun, so hey. But, um... I think we came out very well from that. It was a very popular episode. It was a very kind of memed episode. People laughed at me for losing my shit at you getting TIE Fighter. Then I explained why TIE Fighter was good. Then I lost a draft. And also you picked Trespasser, Jurassic Park. So, you know, it was memorable. So how are you feeling about revisiting PC gaming as an overall thing in this episode? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I've got sort of f- fonder memories or at least better formed memories of this period um i'm still not going to pretend that i'm like mr pc i think this period in question you know i was 
buying games with pocket money and whatever so had quite kind of a, a quite a small collection of very good games um you know i'm definitely not on as steady ground as i am with basically any of the console drafts but yeah i mean absolute heaps of good games it's quite hard to see like how how you could truly biff this one i think you know i worry it may be a bit more straightforward than some of the drafts because you'd actually have to go out of your way to pick kind of bad games i think yeah i think that there's one one tricky element at the heart of this which is i personally think i don't know if you agree with this this is the 2000 to 2005 pc gaming draft so how games have to be from that time period i think there is one game that stands head and shoulders above all other games in this and I, I do worry that whoever picks that first might might steal it based on that. But I do agree with you that there are, you know, there's just so much good stuff from this period. You know, last time we did 90s as an overall thing. This time I feel like maybe it's just my age, but that personally there's just a, there are just a lot more options for all the different genres than there were when we did the 90s draft. So yeah, or at least some genres are a lot better represented. So, I, you know, I agree with you. I have I have fresh memories from this and I've, I have takes to share, but I do feel like, in terms of how I've approached it, I don't know if you agree with this. I'm kind of like I'm trying less to fight for what I think the audience thinks, and I'm just going to pick ten rad games, and that's it. I just can't be bothered to like <laughs> wage the psychological warfare element of this and try and get floating voters to get interested. I just have to pick ten games I like because that'll make the best podcast. What What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm going to try and pick things that I've like legitimately played because um, last time I felt that. I had some quite unearned entries on my list <laughs> uh, in that you basically had to make the case for why they were good, um, which is kind of a rotten thing to do in a, in an alleged competition. So, um, yeah, none of that. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to like really try. I Maybe some of them will go and there's certain genres where I don't have a lot of options. I might have to just go a bit crazy. Um, you know, I'm not out to be vindictive. I'm not looking to wound this time. Or I wasn't really last time. Uh, <laughs> tie fighter aside, um, so we'll see. I don't think there's any any potential danger spots for major upsets. No, I don't think so. And I, I personally, there's like maybe one genre where I feel a little bit on unsure ground, and I'm picking something I kind of more curious about playing myself than something where I have that lived in experience. But the other nine categories and possibly even the all 10 categories depending on what happens i have games I, I i can talk about games i know and games i love and i think that will ultimately make for the best podcast and mm. me trying to you know me picking world of warcraft just because i think oh yeah people will like that and it's like well i'm, I'm not interested in talking about it so i'm not going to pick it you know that's uh, remains how i i prefer to podcast because i think it makes for better podcasting and it's less phony you know that's kind of where uh where i'm yeah. at with it matthew yeah so yeah sorry were you gonna say something no no i agree with that i was just thinking i agree with that up until a point where like if i feel like i'm getting really thrashed maybe i'll turn <laughs> into a total shit lord but we'll find out <laughs> can i surprise you i like total war that sort of thing. <laughs> like uh actually i really love age of empires actually despite all my previous comments about not being able to play rts games that sort of stuff <laughs> but uh no i'm sure it'll be good um yeah it's cool it's like i lost the last draft this one I don't know. I kind of like. I did pick this thinking, oh, well, I know Matthew has more sort of like relevant baked in experience. So why don't you tell me a bit about your memories of early noughties PC gaming, Matthew? Yeah, so uh, this was definitely a period I was more aware of PC gaming. Um, I think up until this point, I'd been a little bit too young 
to like properly enjoy PC gaming magazines, or there was a lot of stuff in them I couldn't particularly pass. Um, like I won't lie, there was still occasionally like things and weird references that like Kieran Gillen would make in PC Gamer that I'd be like, eh? Like this was clearly an adult writing about you know a, a more adult world. This was a period where I was now responsible for buying my own games largely, um, working in jobs, washing up at the pub, and working at home base. So I was very very selective. So I only ever really bought things which were absolutely rammed with critical acclaim um i'm also juggling like a huge like nintendo habit obviously at the same time so for me every purchase is kind of do i want a gamecube game you know or do i want a pc game so that that has an impact i think i only really bought what would be considered kind of classic kind of pc canon basically um so a super mainstream experience of you know a period where just PC games were getting so gorgeous, like graphically things just seemed to really be accelerating at this time. They were so much more ambitious in terms of storytelling, um, just like the, the crazy sort of physics and the complexity of what these games could do. Like the gulf between PC and console seemed massive in this period. Um, mm. So it was, yeah, it's definitely like cutting edge and super exciting. Did your um, family get like a better PC around this time, Matthew? Because I remember last time you made quite a big deal about the sort of class warfare element of this, where you're like, if you had a PC in the 90s, you were posh, so fuck you, which I thought yeah, which is was, kind a, of was a great take from you. It was a great take from you. It, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, but, but it's also, it's a, bit, you know. it's a bit false. Like, we had a decent PC, and I can't pretend I had, I had a difficult upbringing. <laughs> I mean, you know, we lived in a house that was named, not numbered. Um. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, your family was really um, hurt by the dissolution of the unions by Thatcher, right? That was, like, tough. That was tough for your bloodline, right, Matthew? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I can't... But yeah, we did... Yeah, we, we definitely got our second PC in the early noughties. And yeah, it could just play, like, everything on monster settings. But then I would say, you know, from 2003, I was away at university and I didn't really have access to PC gaming at all. You know, I had a... A kind of a laptop that was capable of doing like work and nothing else um it was only in second year where we were living out and about and other people in the house maybe had like a pc capable of gaming so like uh, yeah i played a lot of stuff sort of 2000 to 2002 and then it gets a little shaky after three that mirrors my experience quite nicely too so we had a pc that could play games basically from about 1998 through to 2002 and by 2002 We've got a new PC that could only really barely keep up with the the new games at that point. And I've just sensed the fact that my dad was just like either not as interested in it or didn't have the money to spare on it because we moved house a couple of times or whatever. And right. so, you know, decided to spend it on like renovating the house instead of like getting a better graphics card so I could play Empire Earth or whatever. <laughs> like, I totally sort of understood why it was less of a priority, but it was kind of a bummer because... I did miss being tuned into PC games in the same way that I was in the late 90s where I just read PC game every single month, played every single demo on all those discs and just absorbed an absolute fuck ton of information about it. That happens here up until basically the end of 2002. But one thing that does happen for me is that I have a friend down the road, this kid called Donald, um, who lived in this giant house that looked like a castle. I've mentioned him before. And he had like this... He had a dad... I think his dad was quite wealthy and he had like a really beefy gaming PC. So... It was a Saturday ritual. We would go 
do our paper rounds because we had paper rounds at the same shop. We would go to this like little shop called Gina's and have um, a box of uh, microchips, um, and then we'd go back to um, his uh, his house and we would basically play a first person shooter or something like that all day. And he just seemed to have always have the hot new PC game at that point. And so my access to online games at the time was sort of through him um, before we ended up getting broadband a bit later because he had the sort of like. Uh, the beefier PC I felt like I was getting the optimal experience through him which is very exciting because you know at the same time my parents probably thought well Samuel doesn't need a gaming PC because he's got a PS2 which was true as of 2001 so I was um, enjoying the contrast of the two Matthew they were very very different at this time so that is what I'd like to ask you about next actually is we mentioned there that like there is a big big gap between what's going on in PC and console at this time they have not converged in the way that they would in the late noughties slash early 2010s where there's maybe some more parity between the big games so what do you think sets the two apart at this point pc and console matthew it, it was interesting because i felt like there were a lot of series born in this period which also had a multi-format life which really kind of exposed that that big gulf you know like you started getting you know medal of honor on pc which obviously when you put against what Medal of Honor had been on PlayStation, it was kind of like laughable, like how much more advanced it was. I do think this this period has like the beginnings of the of the convergence, you know, in terms of definitely in terms of like what series are big and like in a way that the the not the end of PC gaming, but the kind of slight stalling of PC gaming that I would say does happen a little bit in the in the late twenty in the late 2000s Mm. isn't so much that consoles are catching up it's more that consoles are such the focus that the ambitions for pc shrink i would say a little bit and you begin to see it just in terms of like you know the seeds are planted of of series here that are going to go on to be like the biggest series in the world and dominate gaming like arguably up until now uh, either series or genres i think it really depends in terms of like the, the the kind of contrast between the console and pc experience on what the series is what the game is how high the quality the port is i think like a massive factor that has to be brought up here is obviously the rise of xbox and that drags genres that were more pc centric into the console space for the first time particularly rpgs and first person shooters so that happens and then by the time you get to the 360s launch which does happen in this um uh six year time period that we're covering you have you have basically like quake 4 as a as a launch game you have like oblivion as and and mass effect as like games that microsoft is talking up as a thing happening on their platform Mm -hmm. so you know you do see the beginnings of microsoft deprioritizing pc around this time for sure that absolutely happens at the same time you do see some convert of convergence in a way that I think sort of makes sense across different platforms. Like Halo is really good on PC. Halo as online on PC that it doesn't have on Xbox, for example, uh, sort of port by Gearbox. I think you have things like Grand Theft Auto, mm-hmm. where you know obviously Grand Theft Auto is a PS2 concern um, for the most part during this generation. They have exclusivity, but it comes to PC, it looks a ton nicer. You know, the the game is immortalized on PC. Well, you know, mod scene just kind of perpetually keeping that game ticking along. So, you know, the relationship between them, there are some ports that don't work as well, like C Mafia, for example, which is a fantastic game on PC from 2002 that had famously bad uh, ports onto on consoles. So, it couldn't do everything. 
um, console mm. that PC was doing. And there was a pleasant amount of divergence, types of games that would still just come out on PC and they wouldn't even try and put on consoles. You know, for example, the RTS, which mm. um, makes sense at this time for sure. Uh, Sims and that sort of thing. And so, you know, there, there's there's like a there are meaningful differences, but I agree you see the first signs of convergence. You yeah. know, I think that's that's happening around this time. I mean, the, the, re- the shocking one, really, of kind of a sign of times and what's going on is the fact that Deus Ex Invisible War is so hampered by its console ambitions. Yeah. In terms of like it's very it becomes incredibly segmented and basically loses the kind of the wider areas which define the original game. And that is you know, that is, I mean, okay, Deus Ex one also on console, but it's a it is a you know, as PC a game as you possibly get, that the sequel to that can be allowed to change so much based on what is required by console. I think is just a sort of sign of the times. Also, I know we near as big or important a game, but there's a little bit of it in Thief Three as well. That kind of sort of segmented stuff going on. So it's yeah, mm. it's like I don't want to say it's doomed. It's definitely not. You know, like like you say, the gulf is absolutely massive, but the tension between them is is like super interesting. Like throughout this period, I feel like Invisible War is probably the most extreme example of this, oh, though, yeah. because you can still look at the likes of. Morrowind from this time or KOTOR and you can see that they've got you know what is close to parity between the platforms Mm. but it's just that something of Deus Ex's scope just can't be replicated on that uh, on a console still and it's a bit yeah it's tough to see for certain genres but it doesn't happen that often you know still a 92% in PC Gamer (laughs) yeah that's the lesser remembered um, Deus Ex review from PC Gamer some might say I don't think it's that bad a game for someone who played it on Xbox but played it before the original Deus Ex but if you played it after Deus Ex it would be astonishingly disappointing for sure (laughs) because you would just miss those vast areas the feeling of possibility it kind of boils down like Cairo into like basically three rooms and you're like this is such a bum that is uh, <laughs> um, I was uh, uh, when I was looking through some reviews for these games. One for Invisible War jumped out. GamePro. Uh, this is a quote from GamePro. Um, Invisible War is not only the proverbial sequel better than its original, but it's also deep, challenging, and intelligent on a level that action games usually don't reach. Right. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that's still the test of time? What do you reckon? Oh, that's a bold <laughs> take. Sequel better than its original. I mean, man alive. So, Matthew, one other thing I wanted to ask you about was how do you think the PC gaming landscape changed between the 90s and this period? Do you, do you see any kind of like obvious genres rising and falling here? The shift from like the 90s shooter into the naughty shooter is super, super obvious that something changes. And you want to say it's just like Half-Life changes everyone's narrative ambitions. But for an era which is dominated by kind of id games or id likes you suddenly end up with, you know, action games with like a heavy, heavy narrative streak or, you know, the rise of the the World War Two shooter, which sort of, you know, comes like from the same kind of place as Half-Life, weirdly, like the early Medal of Honor and the first Call of Duty. I mean, in attempting to sort of cinematically put you in these scenes and capture the spirit of the thing, it's not that different to kind of some of the, you know, the techniques that you had in half-life one so i mean that that's a major thing like it is really weird how all of your you know where go the 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 sort of hexens and bloods and all that kind of jazz of the 90s it just sort of vanishes and you know maybe it feels like a bit more of a 
sort of sophisticated, well-behaved space in the noughties than the 90s. The 90s feels more like video games to me on PC. It's a bit like wilder, it's like bloody, it's gore, it's violence, it's fun. And then the noughties is a little bit more, it's a little bit more HBO. Ah, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, I, I guess so. It's, I think that the Half-Life thing is, is a key difference. Like you say, like the, the, the up, the sort of like, increase in narrative presentation that you see across these games the sort of overall level of polish and variety to them they do feel a bit less like you know um sort of like pure level design and guns like those um a lot of yeah, those 90s yeah. games do um they got more niceties going on and it becomes more competitive you know mm. um, i mean that stuff still got you know like uh, where that stuff lives on is like multiplayer i will say huge caveat with all of this I basically did no multiplayer gaming on PC. I couldn't ever really figure it out. Uh, you know, it wasn't something that interested me. I was still playing a lot of split-screen Perfect Dark right up until, uh, like, this period. Um, so, like, that is obviously, like, a huge part of the landscape. And I realised that, you know, what's going on in there is is quite different. You know, like, uh, that sort of slightly more sort of rambunctious kind of... 90s vibe does live on in your unreal tournaments and whatnot and i get that but that just isn't my scene yeah so um i've got some some slightly more developed online experiences than that just because like i said a friend down the road had it and we just played this all the time and i can't i can't underline enough just how magic it felt to go online at that time and play those games and just like the the exhilaration of knowing you're entering a server that had real people in it like i just i'll never forget how that felt playing Medal of Honor Allied Assault and just we're like you know going on Games Ladder or whatever the fuck it was Game Spy maybe and then <laughs> yeah. just booting in and then just like oh shit I'm actually being shot at by you know characters played by real people and that seemed amazing and like when I played Halo Online for the first time and then someone um, crashed a Banshee down and ran me over which is something you couldn't do on the um, Xbox version at the time because it was just more more limited and you can play it online just all that stuff just I felt like I was seeing something I'd never seen before mm-hmm. and so I'd say in general like this this period of PC gaming just felt so distinctive to console gaming but I was in I was enjoying the differences between the two so so much and I kind of almost wish they were this far apart I mean you know they're different in the sense that PC is a lot easier to publish for than console still. But generally speaking, like the sort of the blockbuster games here were just completely different between the different platforms. And yeah, sometimes um, you know there were some games on PC that they wouldn't even bother trying to port onto consoles, but then they would like take little bits of it and try and make it work. See Medal of Honor Allied Assault versus Frontline. Mm. Frontline took the D-Day level from Medal of Honor Allied Assault, which was at that time the best set piece I'd ever seen in a video game. Absolutely phenomenal. And then basically made a really cut down, not as good PS2 version of it. So when people were talking about Frontline, like, you know, without having played Allied Assault, as they're thinking, you've only seen half of what can really, it can really do. You just need to see it on this a sort of platform to get it not to be all gatekeeper about it but mm. yeah just those big differences were huge and online gaming was a massive part of that the other thing matthew was of course that um in our 90s pc gaming draft we had an adventure games point and click category we've completely chucked that out this time there is because this genre do- doesn't die but the old version of what the genre was it's glory days are almost are basically over at this point right you're not allowed to say the adventure game ever died because there's always a couple of people who are like well actually and then they'll name some like super obscure german series you've never heard of um hmm. like 
it, it lived in, in certain weird crannies, but in terms of it being, like, a big substantial... I mean, basically, like, LucasArts were, yeah. were like, not doing it anymore. There was a 3D Monkey Island, which just squeezes into this window, I think, but, like, mm. there's no way that's going on my list. It just isn't <laughs> very good. Yeah, and that was, that was like, disappointing for me. Like, it was a genre I really loved. Um, I think I, I, like, dabbled with, like, the early 3D Broken Swords, but... They they were all a bit ropey. I don't think everyone anyone ever like really worked it out. I don't think it's you know, it's not till you get to like probably your your, your kind of branching narrative led kind of telltale games or your life is strange. You know that kind of scene is 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 more what the genre evolves into, and it it's a bit kind of for my money depressing for like ten years. Um, but again, like I know people who then list all this like weird ass shit and say otherwise but none, so of, that's, you none of that's making the list so you won't be picking fahrenheit that's what you're saying matthew oh well <laughs> I, uh, I like fahrenheit <laughs> yeah so is there anything from this period of pc games you wish we still had in modern games matthew i, uh, I the only thing i'd noted down is if it still feels like there's there's a very clear balance of like single player and multiplayer in a lot of things you know, you have mm. like great single player campaigns and then maybe a whole other team making a great multiplayer game and you could be a classic on both fronts or only one. Um and you know, it it, it just feels like over time the the franchises that came to dominate, a lot of them just went, well, it's we're just better off doing like one or the other. Um, which is a bit of a shame. Because I felt like you could you could have a great time as a single player on PC in this period. Um or a great time on multiplayer if you like both. I mean, you're amazing what quits in. But um, but that's I mean I don't know that's a bit of a generalisation. But that's that's kind of the only thing that jumped out to me. Researching this, Matthew reminded me of the time that my dad, in a desperate effort to try and keep up with um, the sort of exciting modern technology this time, tried to burn Mafia, which was um, on DVD a DVD ROM, onto three CDs because we didn't have a DVD ROM uh, player. And um, it didn't work, and I think he put most of a Saturday into doing that. So um, that was uh, that was quite funny. There was a brief time I don't remember where PC Gamer did like t- they they did two versions of the cover disc where they did a DVD ROM or they did two CDs. I don't know if you remember that, but um, oh yeah, it rings yeah, a bell. Yeah, that must have been a fucking nightmare to produce. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in yeah. terms of the expense of doing it, but. Um, yeah, but um, no, I've very much enjoyed PC gaming, uh, PC gamer around this time. Still, it was uh, it was excellent. So, Matthew, shall we take a quick break, then come back and get to the drop? Yeah, let's get it. PC gaming draft. Let's do it, um, Matthew. Any thoughts on the challenges and selecting your games for this this top ten list? Uh, uh, only that there is a, a bit more connective tissue with the games of today in terms of like there are some series that are introduced now that live on, and I always feel a little concerned picking things when there's like a much better version of it. So you know your military shooters. I, I don't really know where they sit, really, in the grand scheme of things. Are we going to go back to them? I don't know. Um, 
you know, also just trying to find stuff which was sort of definitively PC and, and you know, didn't exist in another form, you know, uh, like another decent form on console maybe, you know. I know we don't factor in these things hugely, but I wanted to try and feel as kind of uh, uh, innately PC as possible. That is tough to do, I would say, because some of the series that start here really do morph quite quickly into other things. Um, yeah. Yeah, I must admit, I did just try and go straight down the line what are like 10 games I played and then, you know, just try and kind of figure out from there. And I kind of got to about 20 games I played before I tried to whittle it down because obviously the backups for this when the other person takes something you want. Matthew, should we reestablish our rule from last time, which is if it, if a DLC pack came out in this time period, you get that DLC pack. But if you don't, if it didn't, you don't get that DLC pack. Do you think that's fair? I think that's fair, yeah. I think otherwise it makes one of these games just too weighted as like a great pick um, and maybe ruins the rest of the draft for people. So <laughs> we'll oh, right. see, won't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Okay, cool. So in which case, Matthew, do you want to do the old... Uh, oh, no, I suppose we should read out the categories first, shouldn't yeah. we? Do you, want to, do you want to do that? So our categories are uh, FPS and a second FPS category. So two for FPS. Uh, category three is 4X game, God game or sim, a.k.a. the dad game category. <laughs> uh, four is online game. Does that mean uh, that could just be a game with a big online mode, right? Yep. Yeah. Number five, strategy. Number six, RPG. Number seven, immersive sim. Number eight, 90 plus from PC Gaming UK. Number nine, wild card. Number 10, free pick. Could be anything. The wild card is uh, something a bit more idiosyncratic. Yeah. Yeah. That that was where I played Trespasser last time. <laughs> <laughs> And hey, you know it worked. So uh, <laughs> who knows what the, who knows what the trespasser of this period is? I'm excited to find out. But um, yeah, so ten categories there. Like um, definitely tried to roll as much as I could into category three, four X game, God game, or sim. Partly because I think it's sort of a weak spot for both of us. I would say not many super interesting games from this time can be described that way either. So quite uh, I say a handful for that one. And like definitely like two I really want. Um, I really like so that's fine but it's Mm. beyond that it was just a bit of a wasteland to be honest an online game I thought was good to have as open to interpretation um, because yes you could just pick wow in this category if you wanted to but maybe you pick something that was more of a a meaningful really cool online experience to you at the time even if it's a game that's not necessarily known for multiplayer but um, meant something to you so yeah not not much more to add on that Matthew shall we do the old coin flip yeah what would you like heads or tails uh tails Tails it is. So, you get to so I get to choose whether I go first, first or second. First or second. Okay, so... Right, I should explain to people, actually. This is a snake draft. So whoever goes first picks one. The next person picks two. Then the person, the other, the first person picks two. And it goes in twos until the yeah. whole list is done. So the idea being it bounces out any um, uh, Perfect Dark or GoldenEye style shenanigans. There's a deep <laughs> cut there for the back page lore heads. Um, I'm going to go first, Matthew. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take Half-Life 2. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> in FPS 1. So, um, yeah, I think there's actually like two games that I think are super like essential from this period to just get off the ball straight away. And I did theory craft what would happen if I went second. Um, and I kind of had a, <laughs> really? good, a good... Yeah, I had a good backup because I thought either of us goes first, we'll take this, right? I assume this would, you would have taken this first? Uh, yeah, p- yeah, probably. 
it's just the most important first person shooter of this period uh, bar none uh, no i don't get the uh, the expansions of course but that doesn't matter this is a seminal uh, first person shooter in terms of storytelling environmental design physics all this amazing stuff just uh, so much of what we love about modern games is kind of like um well you know a lot of it was started in in half-life but here it's taken to a grander scale in terms of like world building and the sort of sense of momentum in the world has some bad vehicle sections i'll give you that matthew um <laughs> but still just remains um utterly fantastic kind of like the one of the oddities about it playing about playing it now is it was so reliant on this physics that it almost feels like it's sort of a novelty feature in the game in terms of how they work and how you can use them but of course you know, with the, the things like the gravity gun, picking up parks, the environment, and firing at them at people, this game is just uh, absolutely chock full of ideas and atmosphere. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's you know, all these years later, people still want to see a third one. They never will unless you count the VR one, I suppose. So mm. yeah, I think this is just still so so good on a replay because of that level of variety and the escalation in it. Mm. And um, yeah, just and the sort of imagination in its world building. It's like the opposite of a kind of. A boring sci-fi universe of which there are like those are ten a penny you know so um thoughts on this one matthew yeah i have yeah it's you know absolute classic i remember seeing this for the first time like when valve did like a video demo and watching it on a friend's pc at his student house and being like holy shit like you've just never seen anything like it the you know the the gravity gun and the you know just the look of everything like the the texture to it and you know when you shoot an exploding barrel in this game and stuff goes flying it, it just it was just an absolute like must have um i didn't understand like the the earliest iteration of steam or whatever it was that you used to download <laughs> it i had a fucking nightmare of a time trying to download this game and play it on on a pc in in my student house um through dial up i think but <laughs> um like <laughs> Yeah, just absolutely amazing. So lean, you know, just feels like... I think Valve are a bit... They're a bit like Pixar in that you get the feeling they just do infinite passes on something, cutting out anything shit until it's just, like, absolute, like, gleaming sharp. There's just this hmm. sense of everything here is, is exactly how... You know, everything here works. Everything here is doing exactly what it's meant to do. You know, it's, it's yeah, a, a really sensational game. Yeah, I think you have five years between this one and the first one. I think um, in 2003, I believe the game was stolen by a hacker and that delayed it even further, completely threw them back. So, yeah, it was, you know, yeah, long in long in the works, incredibly ambitious at the time. My first experience of this, Matthew, was a very compromised feeling Xbox port of this, original Xbox. I don't know if you remember that, but um, it was just like not quite up to it. And then, of course, um, I would revisit it when it came to xbox uh, 360 of course the orange box and then i'd revisit it again on pc a bit later after that and uh, it's actually sat on my steam deck right now with um along with black mesa i thought of playing back to back so yes half-life 2 still fantastic if anyone made a game even vaguely like this now i would absolutely love it i'm still always uh, all about the uh story-driven first person shooters are big on invention and uh sort of variety so what's your first pick matthew my first pick is i'm actually going to go rpg take Baldur's Gate 2 Shadows of Arm mm-hmm. um, which I believe would also get me the Throne of Baal expansion which is kind of the end of the story so that that feels fair I you know Baldur's Gate 2 obviously is is like definitely the better loved it is the better of 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 those two games um it kind of takes everything that was great about Baldur's Gate 
uh, one and kind of adds the a lot of the ideas that would become like I would say the more sort of fundamental building blocks of what Bioware are like now. Um, there's a much bigger focus on companions. The quality of the side quests is so much improved uh, over Baldur's Gate 1. Um, famously in this game, Baldur's Gate 2, the second chapter is set in a city called Athcatla, which you basically have a goal to achieve of to raise a lot of money and uh, a city of side quests with which to do it. So it's a really like, huge freeform just what just a compendium of stories there's so much going on in the city like wherever you go you get pulled into an amazing adventure i mean it's very very hard to tell the difference between main quest line and side quests in this game uh also absolutely killer villain something i would say like bioware's kind of suffered like struggled with since like i don't think they've ever you know i don't think Dragon Age or Mass Effect have a truly, truly killer villain. In this, it's John O'Renicus, this sort of figure who you basically encounter throughout the game, and the game is so almost his his story as much as it is yours, and uh, played by the now late great David Warner, of course, passed away recently. Um, just, yeah, uh, like, just a, a vast, vast game, H- huge chunks of it you can miss based on choices you make it's just so confident in the amount of just content it has um to put it crudely uh yeah so not a series i have that level of experience with and uh, people might remember i picked boulder skate last time and sort of struggled to sort of shed much light <laughs> on it so i didn't even bother this time with this one, <laughs> um <laughs> which was wise but yeah always always meant to play this so it's interesting to hear it in contextualized next to other um other sort of Bioware games, Matthew. That's a, a sort of good perspective. Is there anything else from this era of like Bioware RPGs you miss in the modern versions? Maybe like the more tactical approach to RPG play, that sort of thing. Uh, not really. I'm the th- I mean, I'm not mad about real time with pause, which is the combat system in Baldur's Gate One and Two. Like I would say, mm. one, there's less going on story-wise, so you're kind of forced to kind of engage with the combat a little more, which isn't wild. In this one, there's just so much cool stuff going on around it. I know some people swear by real-time with pause. I think the turn-based battling that they're bringing into, like, Baldur's Gate 3, um, you know, aka Original Sin 3, is just way more interesting to me. It's just a system I never got on with. Um, But, yeah, I'm actually, like, I haven't had a lot of experience with the other kind of biggies of the period sort of your Icewind Dales your Neverwinter Nights like I just don't have that kind of foothold in them um I have got them on the Switch versions to play but you know when have you got a hundred hours to play a Switch port when you've got all this other stuff you need to play for work and whatnot so well a good pick so what's the um you say the um expansion is the uh the end of the story sort of like was that significant at the time that this came along and just push the story further was it controversial in its original form at all what's no, the context not, not, there not really it just it just sees it through i mean the whole thing with Baldur's gate is it's like an ongoing campaign so you know Baldur's gate one is kind of like the low level of a D campaign and then your character uh moves across to Baldur's gate two and so that's another reason it's more exciting is you're just you're dealing with a high level character from the off so you instantly get into like the crazier like D magics if you're into that kind of thing yeah and then this just sort of rounds out the story fully and just brings it all to, you know sort of a, a sort of neat bow on it um really like it's it's not like the first game where the dlc was just like a quest pack of four very good quests but it was just a bit of an, a fun expansion this just feels like you know it's it's just it's the it's the perfect full stop on it 
So what's your second pick? Some things are tricky because I don't really know where to place them genre-wise because they're a bit bit varied. There's another biggie I feel like I should go for, but I almost don't particularly want to go for it. There's there's like an a, also a very viable alternative to that biggie, I would say. Yeah. If we're thinking of the same biggie. Oh, we might not be. Mm. For my free pick, because I've got other genre stuff to play with, uh, I'm going to go for... Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast. Okay. I, I, I don't think... Can you put this into first person? Yeah. Yeah, you can play the whole thing in first person. I mean, you should probably play the, thir- the lightsaber stuff in well, first person. Thing. So, yeah. Well, that's the thing. So, well, a great into this and why I've put it in free pick rather than first person is I'm not, like, I'm not crazy about the first person in this particular game. Like, the actual, the actual shooting, I think, is fine. But what I remember about this game and like why I wanted it in there for the sake of variety because I know some of the, the latest stuff I'm going to pick. Um, the the Jedi, you know, actually being a Jedi, having a lightsaber, the lightsaber combat is brilliantly realised. I, I think in my head it's still the best video game representation of being that one of those characters and having those powers. Like leaping around in third person with that lightsaber, in, it, in my memory is absolutely thrilling like the jewels felt like proper lightsaber jewels with two people bounding around throwing all the powers they have at each other the blades clashing in a really like unscripted like pure way you know whenever you went into a room and there was someone else with a lightsaber you knew it was going to kick off and you knew it was going to be fucking amazing yeah I, i that's that's really why i decided to pick it i just thought it's such a distinct action memory and one which People have had plenty of opportunities to improve upon in Force Unleashed or the, whatever that last one was called that Respawn made. Uh, Fall for Fallen yeah. Order. But uh, for my money, I still like this. is This is a, a happier, a happier memory for me. Yeah, I think that the thing about the links Force Unleashed and Jedi Fallen Order is that they are in bringing those experiences to consoles. They had to lose something of the mega precision you get in these two Jedi Knight games on. Uh, pc at this time and yeah so i think that like those sort of very specific trying like ex- oh this this one guy's shoulder is exposed i'll switch my um jedi stance to like fast and then i'll just try and like nip him on the shoulder and take him out and then this lovely slow motion animation will play where you slice the guy in half and like that stuff was rad and, and yeah it, it is absolutely a dream to see uh, lightsaber, uh, that lightsaber combat stuff come to life. I played an absolute fuck ton of this game. Yeah, actually. It's very, very good. Yeah, because it had that, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was kind of like, isn't it like one hit kill with a lightsaber? Uh, not quite. It, it's close though. Like it, you could, basically, you could take or give a near fatal attack doing that. You could definitely like, you could die from one hit, but you, you wouldn't just die from one hit. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, you know, maybe it sort of speaks to like where my teenage mind was at, but there were just, there were certain fantasies which if games tackled, you know, they, they just instantly won you over and like sword fighting was one of them. You know, I remember being incredibly envious of people who had the, was it Bushido Blade? The mm. kind of sword fighting game. I remember there because it was like if you nick them once, they're dead. And the idea of like anything which kind of captured like samurai cool that felt like a real. The first game that really does this is gonna is just gonna absolutely rule. And it, like the sword fighting in this kind of is that for me. And it's so it's just it's yeah locked away as a as a great memory. I mean, am I being unfair to the first person shooting section of this? Because it it definitely made you wait before you could become that. Like the first. 
chunk of this game is spent without lightsabers. It's more of a traditional Star Wars shooting game, right? Yeah, it's a slow starter. It's like, uh, it's maybe, I don't know, four or five campaign missions, something like that. And then it's quite clever, really, because the um, I mentioned the 90s PC gaming draft. There's Mysteries of the Sith, which basically established Karl Katarn as this had fallen to the dark side. So he basically had to give up the Force, and that's where you find him at the start of Jedi Outcast. So he can go through this sort of whole arc of like getting his powers back again and stuff, which is elegantly done. But it does mean that the first few levels of this are... Sort of like Dark Forces levels, basically, just yeah. in terms of like similarly tiled environments and shooting dudes, you know. But they, the uh, whatever engine this was made in, like just a dream for Star Wars environments, you know, like interior of spaceships just looked great. It was really, really sharp. The kind of edges of it, it just it was it was well suited to it. Yeah, if there are like two sort of like, well, I suppose there are like if there are two MVPs of like first person shooter games at this time. It is Monolith and raven software like Mm. if we lived in a world where two developers like this were still making first person shooters that would fucking rule and those those two developers between them are responsible for so much great shit from around this time matthew yeah yeah Um, yeah they were absolutely amazing and so yeah this was uh this was phenomenal i don't know why this series like would just die in the late noughties like why why that happened but lucasarts just changed change hands too many times and then died a slow death so yeah but a good pick so that was your free pick yeah yeah it was my free pick yeah so you know i I know there's still a lot of biggies in there but i just i wanted to get a couple of things in that's absolutely fine so okay my first my sorry my second pick is going to be for category five strategy and i'm going to take command and conquer red alert 2 this is the best of the command and conquer series the whole thing with red alert is that it's basically like an alternate history timeline thing Blah, 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 some Stalin bullshit, and then, like, uh, <laughs> something to do with Hitler dying, and then, like, there's then there's loads of mad sci-fi shit going on, and the Allies and the Soviets are endlessly fighting. So, the whole thing with Red Alert was it was always very, very silly. Like, it was quite it was quite campy cutscenes, but absolutely rock-solid, incredibly thrilling um, sort of strategy gameplay. This took it further, adding sort of more and more sci-fi-ish sort of designs. Loads of, like great new units the prism tanks which are basically like the tesla tanks in the first one except they'd link up and all these beams would sort of link up and then like absolutely just zap a dude or destroy a building super quickly or um kirov's these very slow moving soviet uh sort of like uh basically like uh balloons air balloons what are they called i don't know Blips. zeppelins those yeah yeah zeppelins, yeah, yeah th- those things um very slow moving they would absolutely bomb the shit out of your base um dolphins that would be used to attack uh ships lots and lots of like mad shit that the um the fantastic expansion yuri's revenge would add a- another faction controlled by yuri who is sort of defected and formed his own sort of like uh yeah faction in the in the in that, in that expansion and um just takes, I think, what was great about Red Alert to its natural conclusion and is one of the best sort of strategy campaigns ever, aided by cutscenes that feature Ray Wise, uh, Leland Palmer himself, as the President of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely adore this game. Uh, if EA don't bring it back in some form, I'm going to be, like, mad for 10 years. <laughs> do, you think that they, do you think that they'll do, like... A, a, is it feasible that they could do a remaster like they did of the, the first lot? It feels like it because uh, you might have more art to like convert into. Um, I think it was Lemon Sky, the developers who did like the art for the remasters. But you could absolutely do it because it's still the same sort of deal. I think of like it looks like three D, but is actually two D 
sort of like sprite work. So I, I think that this and Tiberian Sun would be an absolute all-timer pairing. So my hope is that they are doing that. But I don't know. We're coming up to two years since the last one. I feel like they would have said something if they were interested in doing another. But um, I don't know. This, but yeah, Red Alert Two, absolutely phenomenal. Just the the units, the excitement of it, the spectacle, the fantastic music by uh, Frank Klepacki, just uh, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, thoughts, Matthew? Uh, I didn't play it because, uh, as we learned from the last draft, I got Red Alert and was so shit at it, and it basically put me off a genre for life. Uh, not because <laughs> the game's bad, but because I was like, my brain just isn't capable of doing this. Um, so, yeah, I just looked at these things longingly in magazines, knowing that, no, this, you know, games are too expensive and my money is too precious for me to gamble on liking this thing again. So I'll take your <laughs> word for it, but I, I know that this is loved, yeah. Yeah, it's also a game that just does not work properly on Windows 10 anymore. Um, like, I've done all the things that people say you do, and it still just crashes every few minutes. So... Uh, Someone needs to save this um, because it's absolutely fantastic. So yeah, you could have, um, you know, if you if you were going to pick a sort of rival Command and Conquer from this time, Matthew Generals is like a proper three D Command and Conquer. That is um, a very much a kind of liked game as well. But mm-hmm. I do prefer the Red Alert setting. I think this still slightly has the edge among fans. Mm. So yeah, and uh, I believe like the lead designer would go on to be. I think it's Dustin Browder one of the designers to go on to work on starcraft at blizzard so oh, right. um yeah an important sort of game in the old uh, history of the rts which would admittedly uh, sort of like diminish a bit by the end of this decade so if only our my... horrible listeners cared about strategy games <laughs> <laughs> well this might be one of the ones they do care about it's funny actually because i've got some on the table that i did think about picking but i thought i bet our listeners will not appreciate me picking brian reynolds rise of nations do you know what i mean like <laughs> it's too know... good for you scum <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to get into the old fucking what was it last time alpha centauri you know, <laughs> i i, st- I staked my claim on brian reynolds last time with alpha centauri and it didn't work out god damn it so uh, <laughs> yeah so red alert 2 it is and the hope that i don't know someone listening to this has played it at some point we'll i watch guess the funny cutscenes on youtube at the very <laughs> least <laughs> okay next pick um third pick uh category 7 immersive sim let's get deus ex off the board so i do l- very much like the look of half-life 2 and deus ex on my list that makes me feel quite happy mm-hmm. um i think you could pick thief 2 here and have a, a almost as good and immersive sim here and i expect you to do that matthew because you picked thief last time um i've talked about deus ex in this podcast i think multiple times at this point there is only one game exactly like it i would say the even its own sequels couldn't match it in terms of scale so a game where you, you play the way you want to play you put points into what is important to you um yeah it's like a an rpg first person shooter hybrid if you want to become like a a sort of like fireproof man who just cannot be blown up with explosives and just has the most deadly pistol of all time that can kill people from about 40 feet away you can become that guy that's if that if that's your choice that was my choice when i played it absolutely fantastic or you can play it in a completely um sort of stealthy way and um the game gives you different ways to kind of uh, it's got a great power curve actually because i think that you know when it, it threatens to, to sort of flatline in terms of your powers it suddenly each kind of each like um bump to a different skill becomes more and more meaningful when you become you inhibit inhabit that sort of your chosen sort of like uh sort of you know cyberpunk superman basically um 
quite uh, around the midpoint of the game and it starts to become more and more empowering and less and less why am I missing with this crossbow every fucking shot I'm taking on Liberty Island which is what the opening few hours of the game are like to be honest so yeah play through it last year blasted through it there is some tool you can install that makes it look great on modern platforms something to do with the weird unreal engine lighting from the time but Yep, absolutely phenomenal, large-scale, great sci-fi game, so much memorable script writing, the everything game. I love Deus Ex, it's a masterpiece. Thoughts, Matthew? Oh, yeah, and you yeah, put it all perfectly. Um, I, a, a game I was obsessed with long before I played it because of that incredible PC Gamer review where Kieran talked about all the different approaches to one mission and, you know, the game did not disappoint. Yeah, I mean, I've got yeah, absolutely no qualms with this. It is, it is a classic. Yep. So, very good, Matthew. Now I'm I'm very curious to hear what your next two picks are. Oh God, I have no fucking idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? How have we reached that point already? Well, it's more like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just I, there's like a little for all the big talk about like you're not in it to win it. I'm just going to pick stuff that I really like. There's always a little bit at the back of my voice that says I don't you know I don't want you to get something that I sort of want and. Like, I'm not very good at guessing what you want. <laughs> oh, right. Did you not think I'd pick Deus Ex and Half-Life 2? So that, those are the take, two I saw yeah, I, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm curious what you're going to pick for RPG. Because um, I think I think I, I do think Baldur's Gate 2 is the one in that genre. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, I thought how this was going to play out was, was that if you went first, you were going to pick Deus Ex... Right. And then I was going to pick Half-Life 2 and Baldur's Gate. Right. For some reason, I thought you were going to go DS... I thought DSX was more valuable to you than Half-Life. Um, I think I just saw what Half-Life did for you last time at the voting. Right, um, that's the thing. It is, like... Regardless of what you think about it, it's, it's kind of like the boring masterpiece. Yeah, that's it. So, so you just have yeah. to, like, accept it and go, all oh, right, here we go. <laughs> I didn't think you'd let me get Deus Ex, actually. I thought you'd have blocked uh, that. I get, but again, like... It's another boring masterpiece that I'm, I'm almost gambling <laughs> no, on not. people being like, oh, yeah, it's one of the greatest games of all time, Snore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a, an incredibly shitty take, but in, 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 in a way that I, I find very endearing and, and funny. But that's I I, did, yeah. like, this is why I can't play Red Alert 2. This is the level of my strategy. <laughs> It's like mudslinging immediately. It's, it's like... not mudslinging. It's it, it is amazing, but I just sort of figured maybe I'll like maybe it's the it's the siren call of like the trespasser route. You know? <laughs> uh, well, I, do you have a trespasser? I honestly in your don't. Sort of pick? It would there be... is no there's no other trespasser. I would say from this time I looked and I don't think it exists. Yeah, you'd be you'd be like cutting off your nose, spite the face kind of thing to 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 not pick a ninety when for for, for anything else. Um, I do, yeah. I will say I do worry that the slight problem with doing a full-up draft is the second one maybe gets too competitive because there's an element of like continuation. <laughs> whereas, yeah, whereas like maybe doing standalone drafts means you kind of reset, you come back. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I, let's see how this goes. I'm know? not. I'm not in a competitive mood. I felt shitty about the last one. I want. I wanted this to be honest. Um, <laughs> Fair. So, so uh, did I. for my first FPS pick, uh, I'm going to take uh, Fear. Great pick, yeah. Um, which is kind of uh, what if spooky monster closet? Well, not monster closets, but the sort of spookiness of of, uh, sort of Doom Three is how I remember it. Meets the bullet time obsession of Max Payne, a game which is somehow very spooky but also very empowering. It's 
kind of, if you look at screenshots now, the thing with Fear, which is, is, is that it's largely set in very boring environments. It's very, like, industrial, like, warehouses and offices and things. That's really not what's good about this game. It, it's What's amazing is that the actual enemies it puts in are these kind of human forces who are being sort of puppet mind controlled by this other sort of psychic villain um, have some of the most sort of exciting sort of AI of the period and you have some of the juiciest weapons to take them down. Like in this game, everything feels pretty good. Like even the melee is good because you can sort of do jumping kicks and things into people's faces. Um, that doesn't matter how like artistically how boring the room is fights will always be good because of the combination of those two things it's the kind of game where if you die and you have to throw yourself into a firefight it's not a chore because you're like oh great it'll play out differently this isn't a shooting gallery this isn't a this all these enemies are going to be in the same place things just unfold so differently every time it's just a really really uh like exciting reactive shooter in that way but with this weird supernatural story, which allows there to be this sort of J-horror sprog called Alma, who appears at various times. It's really cheap jump scares, but incredibly effective, I think. Um, yeah, you could shoot people with like a nail gun and sort of staple them to the walls. You could go into slow motion bullet time and basically evaporate people with a shotgun. This is like a real... Uh, uh, like, t- Teenage Matthew was just all in on this shit like a series that i think they absolutely drove into the ground but this one i think in terms of like what fear does well which is just really really shit hot encounters um this this is the the best of the series for me and hopefully a solid fps pick yeah so i had four fps games that are rotating across various categories here and fear was one of them um, I did actually for this podcast, Matthew, go and play a little bit of No One Lives Forever 2 um, because I know that that series is very beloved. For my money, Fear is better. Um, so uh, just in terms of like the tone is more me, I suppose, but I do also think it's a better shooter. Um, I think it's just the, the simplicity of it, I think, is a strength. Like the fact that it is, it is officers, it is very like, you know, sort of like lived in boring locations. It gives... It gives you a sort of grounding, and then the spooky stuff hits harder. I think as a result, whereas mm. the next games would be a lot more heightened in their setting, and then lose their luster as a result. Um, yeah. But I do think so much of it comes back down to that gun feel, like you say. I did. I think I did talk about this on a Patreon episode, actually, the Xbox backwards compatibility one. That was this is really fun to revisit. It's um, slightly more set PC than I remember, um, but it does have a phenomenal physicality to it. So mm. I think this is a great pick. Very good. So that's one. Yep. 90 plus from PC Gamer. Uh, I'm going to take Max Payne 2. Oh, yep, that was going to be what I picked next. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there we go. Yep. Um, obviously, we did the Max Payne podcast where we talked about this one. Like, again, uh, you know, a bit like I was saying about sword fights with the lightsabers. You know, this was a good period for a thing which was a fantasy being done in the game. Sword fighting was a thing I really wanted to see bullet time basically after the matrix any game that had bullet time you would buy because you just wanted to see what bullet time would look like and how cool it was max Payne is i would say the best bullet time game still um i actually think max Payne one and two are quite close and you can get either in 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 this period i mean max Payne one is like I think we said this in the previous podcast, it's almost like the pure action game in that there's like less narrative weirdness. It's a bit more kind of like bang, bang, bang. Um, but this one is just, it's 
better looking, uh, much more fleshed out characters. Uh, the relationship between Max and Mona is really cool. Like, yeah, some of the, like, the, you know, Remedy taking more form as this sort of like uh, quite experimental sort of narrative company as well, which is really exciting to see. Um, just really, just really, really great vibes. A really fast-moving campaign really mixes it up with like little bits where you play as a second character. This was, yeah, like I remember Max Payne. I am um, it's a Max Payne one anecdote, but reading the review of that in PC Gamer and then being like, that is what I'm buying next. And I, you know, I remember, you know, being at home base and absolutely hating working at home base, but thinking like, you know you know whatever seven more hours of this and i'll be able to afford max Payne and waiting for my paycheck <laughs> so i could buy max Payne. and then it had that fucking um there was like an, a, a quite a famous error with max Payne one where like certain driver wouldn't work with it and it was a bit of a pain in the ass to get fixed it would like begin it would like load up and then crash after like the first cutscene, and it was just like devastating but you know eventually played it loved it uh and then this one came along and everyone was like it's even better um had to get it again absolutely loved it just you know belonged with mouse and keyboard as well never really bought the console versions of this i always thought they were a little just way way harder to play in the same way that max Payne 3 was um so yeah max max Payne 2 yep so uh, yeah i must admit i do have max Payne 2 or max Payne written down for this category so i did think if i lose one i'll probably pick the other because yeah there is like they are like they play so similarly yeah. i do agree with you that the nice tease of the second one like it's a much better written better story um the environments are much more varied like the first one feels a lot more like a kind of a sort of small developer taking a punt on something really cool and then like massively succeeding um which is you know kind of what happens and the second one is like the first one was a huge success so let's invest loads in amping up those story telling out aspects and making the combat feel just slightly better and doing a little bit more stylistically with it paying poets to the fall for a great original song um <laughs> all that stuff i absolutely i thought i actually of our recent podcast i think i really loved that max Payne episode i thought we did a great job in that one um mm. it's really really good um so yeah a good a good pick the one thing i had with this matthew is i couldn't verify that piece of gaming uk gave this a 90 percent plus um I know they definitely gave the first one, like, I think it was like 93 or 94, because I remember reading it at the time. Oh. But this one, I could not find evidence online of what this got from PC Gamer UK. I could only find the Metacritic PC Gamer US score, which was 90+. plus. But that was the one thing I was like a bit spooked by. But I will just take your word for it, because <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say I didn't look it up beyond Metacritic. and Right, right. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I must have missed the US bit. He said unconvincingly. Uh, <laughs> I'd be a real, I'd be a real party pooper to take this from you. I well, think. So well, just... you know, it's the kind of drama people like, but also don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll let you have it. So, is that is that's your two? Yeah, picks it's right just there? it's too hot for 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 um, backstabbing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have to make more of these. That's the thing. Like, we can't just fall out here once <laughs> yeah. and for all. We, we have are to keep thin skinned com- enough that like one of these would end. Like the podcast <laughs> eventually, I'd, I'd apologise because I always know that I'm in the wrong when these <laughs> things happen. Um, okay, so let's think. I'm going to take FPS two, mm-hmm. and I'm going to take Call of Duty two, Ooh. which for my money is the greatest World War two first person shooter ever made. Mm. Um, I think it's a fantastic campaign. Uh, modern Call of Duty's wish they had a campaign anywhere near as good as this, which was like an all-encompassing look at World War II. Like it had 
I think it had it had basically your, your kind of European sort of like storming France and take reclaiming Europe element to it, and then I think it had a did it have a Russian element to it as well, Matthew? Were you fighting the Nazis from that side? And then I believe there's also the Britain um, in North Africa, like tanks going across the yeah, desert and stuff. I think it does. That sounds about right. Yeah, so I believe it does all of those things at once, whereas. Uh, Medal of Honor Allied Assault, which was much more directed. Um, these were by the same developers, of course. Short story there is there was a developer called 2015, I think they were called, um, who EA upset. So they went off and formed a new company called Infinity Ward, and they would make the series Call of Duty for Activision. Um, the first one's really good. The second one is phenomenal. So that's what I'm picking here. I did play this on Xbox, but I think even after playing... Mod- I played this after I played Modern Warfare's campaign. I think even after that, the fact that this isn't quite as like activating set pieces down a corridor as that is, it's a little bit more of the, just a tiny bit more of the sense of a, a sort of like level that you're kind of like exploring and looking around than the modern warfare games would have that I think sets this apart a little bit and links it a bit more to why associate is the uh, the first person shooter games from this period, Matthew. Yeah, I don't know if you agree with that, but obviously it doesn't look as nice as modern warfare. But I think that's okay. I think like for. The amount of World War II shooters from this time, I wanted one that really summed it up nicely, and I think this does across both PC and Xbox. So, uh, thoughts, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was, I loved this this mini genre of FPS games. I mean, I think didn't did they did Call of Duty one also have a Normandy beach landing? Was that just Allied Assault Medal of Honor? Um, Allied Assault definitely does. I don't remember with the original Call of Duty. Because I know um, that. Because I, I remember I loved Allied Assault. Cause it, it, that definitely had the D-Day landing, and you were like, "I'm basically playing Save at Private Ryan," which was just again one of those fantasies that people really wanted to to have at that time. Um, not for real, obviously, be, be grim. Um, I'd have definitely <laughs> died like ten seconds. Uh, that boat would have opened, and I'd been like gone. Um, <laughs> And uh, Call of Duty 1 had the stuff which was quite like Enemy at the Gates, where you do that rush up from the boat, whether it is the Stalingrad or Leningrad, one of the grads. <laughs> um, I'm really enjoying Matthew Castle explains World War II. Oh, putting, I know. Putting himself in D-Day and then comparing the grads. Top grads. Right. <laughs> oh, that's good. I got a very low grad in history, unfortunately. Um, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Call of Duty 2. My main experience of this game is playing split screen multiplayer at university, which I must have told you about, right? Uh, yes, yeah, the, uh, at least twice in this podcast. Now, oh, okay, and do, right. I, I forget because yeah. I know I've talked about it on the RPS podcast. So I can never remember <laughs> who I've bored with my tales of, <laughs> tales of virtual war, um, <laughs> hiding behind the tiny little piano in the middle of Carantan. Yeah, good times. Yeah. But it was also, like, even though it didn't have the same multiplayer niceties that Modern Warfare would have, it, it's not quite on that level. It was still a really, really good multiplayer game as well. So that definitely kind of, like, speaks to me too. But, yeah, yeah I mean, I probably wouldn't play a World War Two FPS now. I played that uh, COD World War Two one they did a few years ago. I didn't, I didn't think it was anywhere near as good as this or Allied Assault, to be honest. Yeah. I think there was just something about this period. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just something in the DNA of how Infinity War did campaigns and and yeah. that just really speaks to me or respawn you know i don't know well maybe you can just oh you know you can only do those set pieces so many times like as as shiny as the newer world war games get you're like oh i have done you know i've been in this setting you know i've been in an uglier version of the setting but it was still close enough that i kind of recognize it um and also mm. the 
I don't know. There's like a shock. It feels like now, because there have been so many war games, everyone really doubles down on like how shockingly unpleasant it was. And I get that it was. <laughs> you know, I'm not mm. saying it wasn't. Um, where these have a slot, like there is a little bit of kind of daring do about them. Like that sort of, I, don't, I was going to say it's like more about like the sort of, the sort of the heroics of the thing rather than the horror of the thing it definitely had some of the horror of the thing in it as well but now it's just all so sort of everything's kind of you know watching people sort of burn to death horribly in first person you're like i don't know if i particularly want to see that uh, i think it's horror that turns into heroics the the way that um infinity ward in 2015 would do yeah these that's, in, um, that's a nice way of putting it I, yeah in terms of like you get off that boat and you do see and experience the absolute carnage and then each time, I, I this is more allied assault in my memory, but yeah. I think Call of Duty 2 is very similar. You get to basically the barbed wire, the shingle on the beach, quote-unquote. You would blow through that, and that's when the tide would start to turn. And it's like, right, let's like absolutely fuck these Nazis up. And that's the kind of thing, like it gets you pumped, it gets you pumped. And then you're kind of like, right, now we're storming these bunkers and taking these turrets. They're just dialed. It used it just to great effect, great mm. cinematic effect, and just... But elicited an emotional response. Like when I played Allied Assault, the earlier missions didn't get that response to me at all. I was just like, oh, yes, yeah, it's a Nazi shooter. Then you played that and you're like, I'm looking at something else here. I'm looking at the future of FPS set piece design. Like I'm, I'm experiencing it because mm. they've done such a good job bringing this to life. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. And yeah, and I think that um, Call of Duty 2 does that, but I think it has like multiple sort of moments like this. I just thought the it used the multiple perspectives so well to mm. dial up the drama of those different scenarios the sort of struggle of the red army and then the the storming the desert element of you know the north african campaign which was the weakest campaign that mm. one but then yeah and then obviously like yeah the, the sort of like um going through europe stuff as well just extremely well done um yeah so i, I think that this is the peak of that that particular form matthew Call of Duty too um so yeah that's uh that's one pick i really went on about that one didn't i sorry about that um <laughs> The war shooter is important to cover in this period, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, I, for sure. Like, it's the thing. Yeah, absolutely is. Um, okay, so, do I just get RPG out of the way? It's funny, I've already written in what I think you're going to pick for it, so... Did you put KOTOR? Yeah. <laughs> Thought about it, thinking about it. I'm going to take my... Hmm, sorry, I'm really thinking on this one. It's all right. It's important. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my RPG and get out of the way. So, I am gonna take Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic. I really thought about Vampire: The Masquerade Bloodlines. Okay. Um, but I don't have the same baked in experience with it, and it arguably doesn't get fixed until much later. So, you kind of have to give people the broken version. Oh, and not really? The version is that is that is that the rule? Oh, you're gonna pick it for wildcard, were you? I don't think it's a wildcard if it's published by Activision, personally, but. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like it's yeah. I think it just. I think it has to be Matthew because I think that GOG version you can get now. That's like built on a mod that I think is 2012, something like that. So, oh, that's, yeah, that's tough. That's a tough rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just that, like that's why I didn't pick Kotal Two either because it's like I think it was only 2014 that the mod that properly finishes the game came out. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can come back to that anyway. But yes, uh, category six RPG, Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic. Um, released on Xbox and PC. I think it belongs to both. It's a Bioware game. Um, I don't think they compromised it to make it work. Uh, Bioware has an interesting period here. I did think about Neverwinter Nights, Matthew, which is definitely a definitive uh, Dungeons & Dragons RPG from this time. But mm. um, 
I think this just uh, this spoke to me more at the time, just because the world had never had a great Star Wars RPG up until this point, um, and this took the bold decision to set it obviously like thousands of years in the past, where it was untouched by bad prequel continuity, which was on everyone's minds at the time, of course. Mm. Um, and so, yes, it would cast you as this this uh, sort of like a basically mute character who wakes up and um, doesn't know what's happened, and then starts kind of like piecing together this this party and following in the kind of like um the sort of footsteps of this character bastila um there is obviously like a, a massive twist embedded in this um i think people know what the twist is but i won't spoil it here in case people have never experienced it i think like the boldness of doing a, a twist like this inside an F- an rpg that already had so much great star wars writing in it and world building um just was really the like, sort of like cherry on top of the cake and so the fact that this you have that you give birth to chewbacca at the end right <laughs> And I think that, combined with the fact that you have like the choice to go light or dark side, just um, just absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, I mean, like it's um, it's yeah, you can sort of see this is almost like the stepping stone, I guess, between the sort of Baldur's Gate era of RPG and what would become like Mass Effect and stuff. So mm. yeah, I think um, yeah, still really kind of like great to play now. Looks quite pared down. Uh, was going to be a remake. Don't know if there will be still. So maybe mm. this is still the first and only best way to play it. So. Yes, um, Kotor is my uh, my other pick there, Matthew. Good. Yep. Um, so yes, what's your next choice? Mm. You see, your vampire the masquerade comments have really thrown me off. Well, I think that has to be fair, right? Yeah, because that is true. It has to be a time capsule from the time because then you could start saying, "Well, what about mods and stuff?" And it just gets a little bit messy. Yeah, that is true. That is true. See, my grand, my see, my grand ploy was I was actually going to play that as an immersive sim. Yeah, you know. I'm just going to give it to you, Matthew. But you can have you can have it. But I, I I but I do agree with you that it's it's like fucked at launch. Like I think, yeah, I don't know when that unofficial patch comes exactly. I just know it's not within this five year period. That's the thing. I've only played it. I only played this in the last couple of years when I was an RPS, uh, and it was with the, you know, the 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 mod you you basically have to install that sort of comes with it. Um, so that's quite a misleading. It is good, but there's a version of this draft where I would have played that as an immersive sim, and I even ran it past Jeremy Peel to make sure that was legit, and he <laughs> said it was. <laughs> yeah, I almost picked it as an RPG for the same reason, because I thought, you know, it kind of straddles both, doesn't it? Yeah, so. in which case, I'm going to ignore that genre for now. For 4X game, God game, or sim, uh, I'm going to take black and white. Mm. Uh, which is the first Lionhead game. Huge hype for this at the time uh, because everyone was very excited to see what the ex-Bullfrog and Peter Molyneux crew were going to do next. This is sort of before Peter Molyneux became a slightly more contentious figure. He, this is just the golden age of like Molyneux the showman and talking up big ideas and making things seem very exciting. Uh, this is a god game where you have an island full of tribes. You are god, you are a hand that can interact with the world, perform miracles, wow people, basically tempt people into sort of believing and supporting in you uh, to increase your strength, which you then use to kind of push further and, and sort of take over the island. Um, that in itself is very interesting. There's a lot of cool things about how streamlined the interface is. You, you know, it's basically entirely mouse controlled. You're this hand that performs all the actions in a very tactile way in the world. So if you want to help, 
you know you can sort of like set uh sort of disciples to be like woodcutters and farmers and whatnot or you can literally use your god hand to kind of pull trees out the ground and put them straight into the mills or uh, you know uh, your hand can hold a rain cloud and like rain on the crops it's a very kind of playful tangible kind of interpretation of how a god would interact with the world which which is really good fun um the other big uh, sort of novelty of this game is that you have an avatar in this world this giant creature uh which kind of represents you your sort of moral alignment like how you treat it depends on how it kind of evolves sort of visually but also it had this uh, for the time, quite advanced AI where you could teach it uh, sort of new behaviours so it could basically sort of age you. You could basically use it to automate certain processes so you could teach it to farm or you could teach it to pick up the trees. Um, at least that's what it was on paper. In reality, I always really struggled with the creature in the game in that if you basically, if, if you did it through like positive reinforcement, like if it was doing something you liked, you kind of stroked it and praised it. But at the same time, if you started stroking it and praising it, but you got the impression that if inside its mind it had started like a new negative routine, you were basically going, yes, take a massive shit in the food storage all the time. And so that's what would happen. And your creature yeah. would just start doing insane shit. And that, I, I found it quite unworkable as a thing, I, I, uh, which isn't a great pitch for it being on this podcast, but it is such <laughs> a, a weird, wild creation. And the hype around it was real. Like, this was a big, you know, much-anticipated game, the excitement of this amazing AI creature that I think you want to be able to experience it, even if it's just loading it up, getting frustrated, and then literally, like, beating the shit out of it, which I used to do all the time. I remember my mum once telling me off because I was I had, like, a cow, I think it was, and I was just, like, punching it in the face So it had been bad, and she was, like, genuinely cross. It's the only time I've ever seen her be, like, cross out of video game violence was me, yeah. like, absolutely brutalising a giant cow because it had disobeyed me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, like, they get, like... I think the god the creature could get quite unhealthy as well. Like, my creatures always get, like, super, like, pallid and, like, get rashes and get really skinny and just... Oh, I was really bad at this game, but it was quite something. <laughs> yeah. I, I, do you know what? This... To be just, like, completely balanced about it, I read uh, a Graham Smith piece about this um, last night on Baby Shotgun, um, the kind of, like, uh, Have You Ever Played series they did. Um, and it did bring up the same problems with the creature as a concept mm. and this has appeared on quite a lot of like under uh, sorry overrated games lists because it was so highly acclaimed at the time right. and I think, I think I, over time reception has cooled but i think if you want something that's like raw early noughties pc gaming this is this is as, as raw you know as raw as it gets basically yeah. i think it's um a good pick for that reason good yeah. variety to your yeah list, that's yeah. that that's what i think it's uh, it, like it really felt like a big thing at the time you know like if you're into pc you were definitely aware of it and so i feel like it kind of earns its place whether or not it's any good i don't know i, I think i only ever got about halfway through it because there was like a there was a level in it where you took over like enough islands you basically moved on to the next island and there was one where you basically lost your god at the start it took away your god and then just started bombarding you with like shit from other gods so they were just like like another disembodied hand would just be like throwing fireballs at all your people and it was just like i've had enough of this look i'm only scraping by i, I just can't i can't <laughs> deal with the challenge of it but um yeah so that's why you should buy my pc mini um, <laughs> it's got that on it 
Yeah, I suppose like yeah, the PC Mini manufactured by Matthew Castle Productions, uh, ninety nine dollars. It should be uh, should be good. Yeah. Purchase. Um, I, I um, uh, were you not tempted to pick the second one based on this, Matthew? Uh, no, I I, I just I, I only had experience with the first one. I don't know how much better or advanced the second one is. So, um, mm. in fact, it I think it passed it by entirely. Like when I saw the category, I was like, oh, I'll do black and white for that. So I didn't even yeah. contemplate researching it. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh that is fair you stuck to your truly stuck to your guns there well yeah i had a backup which was uh well i won't reveal it just in case it gives you any good ideas <laughs> okay uh so uh, do you have another pick now or is it me i can't remember uh i think i've got another one yeah yeah uh i'll get online game out of the way you're not gonna pick this but just in case uh, mm-hmm. i'm gonna take return to castle wolfenstein oh nice nice choice yeah, so I said I didn't play a lot of online games. I played precisely two online games a moderate amount in, in this period. One was Soldier of Fortune 2, which I don't <laughs> want to put in because it's just so fucking grubby and, eh, like, it appealed to my teenage brain at the time because it was so violent and gory, but it's I think it's quite a dubious game. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to go with Return to Castle Wolfenstein because everyone agrees that uh, shooting Nazis is hilarious and good. Um, sticking purely to the multiplayer on this because the single player is fine. I don't think it, it was gorgeous, but I don't think it was anything too special. But the multiplayer in this, uh, uh, entirely team based, as I remember it. Um, so it wasn't uh, just a you know complete free for all. And the big problem I had in this era with shooters is that I ha- I have never had good reaction speed. I'm quite bad at mouse keyboard games. You know, having grown up playing Goldeneye, Perfect Dark, I was just shit at at any kind of twitch shooting or reactive shooters uh this had a big team emphasis it had roles you could play in that team so you could be like a medic or an engineer or whatever basically like battlefield in much smaller levels not anything like not no vehicles or anything like that very very small feeling um but the fact that you could play this as not just a shit hot gun person that you could be someone who is helping the wider cause trying to push forward towards objectives or whatever um this just clicked with me more than other shooters at the time and i think there is some affection for that that kind of middle ground between uh, the arena based shooters of your unreals or whatever and your quakes and the the coming of battlefield in this period which is a series i have like no experience with up until until it like well into 360 so i felt a bit bogus pretending to like that so um i don't know where return to castle wolfenstein is held in the grand scheme of things as a, as a multiplayer shooter but i always remember being very easy to find a game and having quite a lot of fun while being quite bad at it yeah so uh, you know i only played the single player of this but i thought it was really really good just like this was a top-notch very well reviewed uh, fps um really well liked and so i think it's definitely like when it was on top of the world um good before they would like uh yeah yeah absolutely and like also felt like a very different side of the coin to the medal of honor allied assault experience um just in terms of feeling like a you know deliberately a bit more of a sort of spooky atmospheric you know, yeah. you know heightened genre take on on the world war Two shooter so yeah, f- felt like um, just lived really nicely side by side with it. I guess like has some of the feeling of the old, the old Wolfenstein game. Yeah, um, it did. Yeah, it, it definitely felt trashier than like Call of Duty and, and Allied Assault. Like one of the mm. multiplayer maps was like the D Day landings, 
but it was just like people running around torching each other with quite horrible flamethrowers. It's just the sound of like burning and screaming. It just felt a bit like a slightly nastier game, um, <laughs> but good fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good pick. Um, that's the thing. I suppose it's worth caveating as well, Matthew, that the online game element is like you get the game. It's not that you just get the online. You get the entire game. Oh yeah. Oh that, yeah. That's so. great. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I, I just don't think I I don't think I ever finished Return to Castle Wolfenstein. It was really well reviewed, and I think I bought it because of the single player campaign being well reviewed. I just mm. found it very very difficult. Um, yeah. Because uh, yeah, like I say, a bit of a mouse and keyboard noob. So I just played this online more. Yeah, that's that's fair. This uh, part of me, Matthew, that wants to dick you over so badly here by picking Thief Two and Free Pick, because that kind of traps you in immersive sim with just <laughs> Thief Deadly Shadows, which is a good game. But um, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you have Thief Two. Uh, I do like Thief Two. I have played it, but I don't have the same level of experience with it. So I'm going to pick something else. Um, for my Free Pick, I'm going to take Warhammer Forty Thousand: Dawn of War. Oh, okay. Um, so this was the game I always wanted as a kid and basically everyone I knew uh, as a kid wanted as well which was a great Warhammer 40,000 uh, RTS like you don't have to buy and paint the models you can just enjoy that universe but from the um you know the point of view of uh, yeah like a, a classic RTS made by Relic um, this doesn't get me every expansion from the time, regrettably, including, including the very, very good Soulstorm expansion, but still gets me um, Space Marines, Orcs, Chaos, and uh, Imperial Guard, Eldar, among others. Plenty of good stuff. I think this is still the best version of a, a Warhammer 40,000 sort of strategy experience. It's absolutely fantastic. I think they should like totally just do a HD remake of this and then re-release it there is a thriving mod scene for this still where people are updating it with the newer factions for Warhammer 40,000 over time they built it into this very complete feeling um, RTS it's a very different RTS to Red Alert 2 it's more about territory capture that sort of thing over time it would just become yeah just just such a like a, a fulfilling exciting vision of this universe and I think at the time it was just so refreshing to see a Warhammer game that lived up to that universe's full potential and i still dig it all these years later the second one's really good too it's a bit more of a um sort of like small uh, scale tactical thing the third one was a very contentious for whatever reason um but yes the first one i loved i'm guessing you never played this matthew no no not at all I, the other thing is yeah well the other it. thing is i didn't want to take thief 2 either because i've got i didn't want to take all first person i've got a lot of first person games already and i didn't want to just have like half my picks be first person games so right. <laughs> yeah there's a bit of that to it as well for my next next pick i'm gonna take see i think wild card is an interesting one because i've got quite a few picks for this mm. i've got like three okay three potential ones and i don't think you'll pick probably any of them but we'll see okay um i struggled a bit with wild card yeah because because I, I only played like i said like 90 rated games <laughs> mm. i don't know if there are any critically acclaimed oddities that I could think yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Perhaps that is... I can see why that would be the case uh, when you you have that experience. All right. I'm going to take my online game, and I'm going to take Star Wars Jedi Academy. Uh. Um, so if we're talking on an online Jedi experience, this pushed what Jedi Outcast did even further. Um, the story was not as good as the main game because you're, about, you're playing this player-created character called Jaden Core. Uh, quite quite amorphous addition to the universe. You would you had all these customization options that was good, but um, I would say the story element of uh, of Jedi Outcast is a lot better. However, the Jedi element was even better, 
adding more and more flexibility to the way you could play as a Jedi. If you wanted to do one lightsaber, that's fine. Want to do two lightsabers, that's fine. Want to do the Darth Maul double lightsaber, you can do that too. Um, with all these different stances as well, was so popular online that it sustained this um, this uh, online community for years and years because it was still the very best of its type. The first person, sorry, the third person dueling game, um, arguably still not surpassed. It gave you loads more flexibility with how you picked your Jedi powers and, and shaped your character, uh, which I absolutely loved at the time. I think some of the levels in this have sort of like a massive sort of sense of scale to them, and then the guns still felt really good as well. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think this is a better game than Jedi Outcast, Matthew, just in terms of the lightsaber experience. But you know, I'd I like Kyle Katarn as well. So, yeah, thoughts on this one? Well, I didn't play this one. Uh, yeah, I I, I, only, I only have experience with the previous one. So, yeah, I'm gonna have to take your word for it. I mean, it sounds very convincing, annoyingly so. Like I really thought I'd pick the best <laughs> Star Wars game from the period. Uh, so that's yeah. a, that's annoying. That feels it was wasted. That... <laughs> <laughs> well, it was uh, that thing of that like back, I would. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that thing of like the adding the Darth Maul double lightsaber was a fantasy in itself, you know. Um, and it just yeah, it just took it that bit further. But you, I know you I like both games. Weirdly cool with my with my Star Wars pick. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's weird. I thought he was going to be cross- I thought he was going to be annoyed about that. <laughs> And then I thought, oh, well, maybe that's because he's going to pick KOTOR and he doesn't really care because he's going to have something Star Warsy. <laughs> but little did I know that there was a, 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 a different, better Star Wars game. <laughs> <laughs> well, better in some ways. I think it's a better Jedi experience, but, you know, uh, yeah, a be- you, you picked a better Dark Force sequel. So, you know, um, it, hey, again, I've been, I've been playing fair. I didn't take Thief 2, so, you yeah, know, that that's... Decent. That was decent. Yep, yeah, yeah, okay, so... Yep, those are my two picks, Matthew, so it's on to you again. Okay. For strategy games. Excited to hear where this is going. <laughs> Can we have tactics games? Yep. I think we did this last time. Anything under that umbrella, go for it. Mm. Is that not narrowed it down? No, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to need a ruling on this, and you're probably going to say no, and that's fine, because I think it's more of an action RPG than it is a tactics game. Uh, where do you stand on Freedom Force? <laughs> Um, well, there goes one of my wildcard picks. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to let you have that because it is real time. I think it is real time with Paul. I think it, it meant it to is, play it, it on is, That's the thing. Like, I think to the eye, you maybe group it. You think you might group it in with like Marvel Ultimate Alliance or a kind of just a big action. Everyone sort of swarm. But really, you it's really, too hard for that. Yeah, it's way too hard. You had to pause it and give orders to everyone. Yep. Okay. No, I dig this. I dig this. So give me a give me a your sort of like rundown of why this game's rad, Matthew. Yeah. So this is Irrationals 2002, uh, tactical ish uh, superhero RPG, um, set in this sort of like quite gorgeous sort of golden age of sort of comic book style. Very kind of um, sort of what the term is for it. It always reminded me a bit of the Tick. Like it's got that sort of. Uh, very sort of sincere, heroic, kind of bold, sort of slightly dunderheaded energy to it, which I really like. Um, you control a squad of four superheroes. It's not based on any particular license, although there's characters who are sort of like Ant-Man, Captain America, things like that. There's, there's, there's sort of like-for-likes in it. I think, uh, you know, again, it's fast become the cliche of this, this episode. Uh, it's a good fantasy game in terms of I get to control these superheroes and I get to really indulge their powers in a very 
big cinematic satisfying way you know you have superheroes who can bound over buildings a sort of isometric i should say sort of top-down third-person view of this sort of city and this squad of four but the characters you know some of them can fly and take to the sky some of them are super strength and they can pick up cars and pull lampposts out of the ground and use those as weapons there's characters who can bound over a building with a single jump people who can jump up to the rooftops and raise rain laser fire down it just really allowed you to 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 feel like you're in control of a big superhero squad unleashing all kinds of mad powers i don't really know where this game comes from like within irrational i find it quite hard to place it like in the their wider story um it sort of came out of nowhere just had this really great energy to it very fun comic book style really lent into the comic framing with the kind of uh, panels around the action and cutscenes. Um, surprisingly meaty campaign where you're constantly unlocking new heroes. Um, I never played the sequel, which I think is even more tongue-in-cheek. That's Freedom Force versus the Third Reich. And I think that's maybe got some like spicier comedy in it. Um, but this is the one I played. Uh, yeah, I just... I love the, the power fantasy of... of being superhuman and chewing through enemies even if it was quite hard yeah so i love this game um i think that it it and the tick are both riffing on the same thing i think which is like 70s marvel i think that's like a big a big interest of um ken levine's like he's a big jack kirby guy i believe so i think it was his homage that a little uh, you know a little bit why i think this game rules matthew is there was a you know if there's one thing you can kind of say about games at this time is that a lot of them did look very sort of like dad gameish in terms of color palette and this was this looked Ooh. like you know n- you know nothing else on pc basically just this vibrant bright exciting looking thing with like the super friend style narrator talking over introducing the levels right i think that mm. was an element to it um and then i believe you could even import maybe isn't just in the second one you can import your own uh superhero designs in it too so if you want to plug marvel heroes in there you can do that and oh, um, right that sort of thing but then each character is a little bit a little bit different in how they control yeah i really like this it's like a, a seminal uh sort of like uh early noughties pc game to me i absolutely loved it it was the first irrational game i ever played technically so yeah lots yeah, of affection just for it doesn't here. like exist in any other form won't come back just a real oddity from the time mm. so what's your next pick yeah for immersive sim um because you kindly let it alone uh i'm gonna go with uh, thief 2 the metal age it's a much purer game stealth game than thief one like the thief one had a few th- levels which were a bit more kind of fighting weird undead things this kind of did away with that so it's every level is kind of a, a pure stealth experience uh it's set uh, a little bit on where there's uh, a sort of steampunky like robots um so there's sort of like hints of modern surveillance sort of security cameras and droids patrolling areas except they've got this sort of steampunk energy one of the delightful things in this game is that their power uh, a lot of the robots are powered by uh, fire you know in their boilers or whatever and you can shoot water arrows into those fires to sort of put them out and kill them um which is really sweet um just a much bigger game like really huge open levels where you had complete freedom to sort of explore 
and rob from multiple places uh, a level which really sticks with me is uh, kind of a rooftop approach to a huge tower the tower in itself is a substantial you know you know as big as uh, you know a level in the previous game with multiple floors but the entire rooftop area around it is full of sort of little flats you can break into and other strange sort of mysterious buildings you can sneak into and get a little bit of the story um i think there's a much clearer through line um from like the level design in this to like dishonored series um then then with the first game like that that density of the environments really really stood out and the, the the purity of the stealth experience this time around um yeah i mean it's it's kind of weird. I know, like I know it is an immersive sim, but it, it you know, like stealth still kind of is the order of the day. You know, it's really not very satisfying outside of that. So I, you know, it feels like part of the immersive sim tradition in terms of its like world design and like freedom to sort of explore and ignore certain things rather than necessarily like a, a, a hugely branching story or like a radically different playstyle set. But you know, it it is considered part of the genre, so I will happily take it here. Yeah, so yeah, considered, you know, the best stealth game of all time by a certain type of player, I think. If you didn't, you know, you don't subscribe to, you know, sort of like the Kojima strand of stealth game essentially. Yeah, so, you know, the that kind of like the where that sort of um the difference between the sort of PC and console experience lies is in the sheer amount of options you have, right? The sheer precision of how you can play it, all that stuff that's yes. not very console-y and very PC-ish. Um, you know, Deus Ex is similar in that respect. So, yeah, um, I think this is a great pick, Matthew. This was, like, absolutely beloved. And I believe the immersive <laughs> sim sort of, like, lives and dies in- entirely inside this period that we're talking about in this podcast, basically. And so mm. it's, a, it's a bummer to read about because it's just what happens to War Inspector, Iron Storm, and just just so sad that these things weren't salvaged well arcane of course they salvaged it but you know okay time to get my wild card out of the way so i'm gonna take anachronox a oh. game which asked the question what if immersive sim developers made a japanese rpg this is such a like i think this is like kind of an obvious wild card in a lot of ways but um do you know this game matthew i i i know of it i have never played it i don't think i could p- point to a screenshot of it that's how much of an anachronox noob i am it's quite funny to play it after Deus Ex, actually, which is what I did last year. And it kind of looks like it's cobbled together out of uh, Deus Ex in some ways. As soon as you start playing it, you're like, why does this game look so much like Deus Ex? It's kind of funny. Um, but it's like a very, very different deal. It's sort of like um, you're on this sort of like uh, sort of down on his luck kind of PI in this sort of sci-fi universe. Kind of like a bit cyberpunky, but actually just kind of like big on sort of like weird kind of like dark strange humor um and like quite out there sci-fi concepts so for example matthew one of your party members is uh, a planet um that decides to shrink down to human height in order to be part of your team which i think is a great concept why haven't i played this (laughs) <laughs> well it's the thing is it's like it's it is like a japanese rpg but it's a little it's a little bit different to play like it's not not quite the same thing it's not like you'd play it with a controller it still feels very sort of pc-ish and plus like the the sort of like subject matter and the ins- points of inspiration make it feel almost nothing like a final fantasy or a chrono trigger or something like that but it feature you have like a kind of like a ex like an alcoholic ex sort of superhero in your party as well 
And like this, just is quite just a real oddball cast of people. Mm. Um, this game was kind of like ad- notoriously had like tons of cut content chucked out, but the finished result is pure sort of like um, it's an eight out of ten, but it's like some people's favourite eight out of ten ever. Is it a seven um, out of ten? <laughs> no, no, it's, it scored well at the time. Oh, it's people better than like a seven it. out of ten. Okay, yeah, it's better than a seven. People did really like it at the time, but. It was. It's just incredibly original and strange, and so I think it's perfect for a wildcard pick here. It came out in two thousand one, so yeah, I did think. I did think. Can I get away with Freedom Force? You're right. It's an irrational game. Probably can't get away with that, to be honest. And I sort of thought about uh, another game too, which I won't mention in case you pick it. But mm. um, yes, it was uh, Anachronox. Truly strange. A Japanese RPG style game from Ironstorm Dallas. Just like singular, and you can go play it on Steam. So, mm. yep, that's my pick. Right, next up, I've got two picks left. I'm going to take I'm gonna take my four, Category 3 4X game, God Game or Sim, and I'm going to take Roller Coaster Tycoon 3. Oh, okay. Can um, you take Roller Coaster Tycoon for your last one? Yeah, and I think that the reason I picked them is because I think they hold up so well as Sim-style mm. experiences. Like... This is still a really well liked game. Full disclosure, my employee employer made it, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know you can play this on on Switch now as well as PC. Like it's it's that evergreen. Like the, there's no other sim game from this time that people would still put on a new format. You know, but this this is like the, this has got that level of stickiness and quality to it, which is you know you build a theme park you run it you try and make it profitable you create your own vastly kind of creative interesting sort of like roller coasters try not to go out of business i think the second game was considered a little bit disappointing so this uh, this third one was like a big reversal of fortunes and i think that this particular era of these sims like um the sim city 4 from this time is not very well liked matthew and like i don't care about the sims too not interested in that uh, so See, and I, 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 I did. T- yeah. I did contemplate Sims too. Yeah, I, I did too. But I'm just not. I'm not interested. It wouldn't excite me to see it on a list, you know. No. Um, no. And the other, the other one was. Um, uh, I thought about Civilization Four, but I always think that the Civilization game you should play is just the most recent one. So yeah, like it's as good right. as Civ Four was. I just think just play Civ Six. Why would you not? I just, you know? I, so, I, also, and I know we're not doing this. I just don't know if that would have landed much with the with the listeners. At least <laughs> roller coasters are like woohoo. Anyone can get that right. <laughs> Yeah, whereas Anachronox is going to land big time, I'm sure. Well, that's I, listen, gonna... that's that's the one I'd I'd get your your machine for. <laughs> I'm more interested in playing that than Deus Ex again. I'm not, oh, I'm thanks, not dunking buddy. on Deus Ex. Deus Ex is a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So Roller Coaster Tycoon Three. That's my uh, yeah. that's my pick, Matthew. So we come to your last two picks. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go for a one-two monolith punch and FPS. I'm going to take No One Lives Forever Two as my other FPS to go with fear. I think you are right. That. F- Fear is definitely the better shooter. Um, no one lives forever too. I wondered for a while if there was any way of trying to squeeze it into immersive sim. That's bullshit. But in definitely. terms, of, in terms <laughs> of, in terms of, it is an action game, but it's also a stealth game. Um, it has both like modes to it, and that's what I kind of like about it. You can be a, a spy slinking around, you know, Arctic laboratories and weird soviet camps it's like a sort of pastiche of sort of 60s spy films a little bit austin powers just without all the kind of interminable catchphrases um (laughs) but it also does insane set pieces like the famous trailer park uh where you visit i think that's in ohio you visit a trailer park you're investigating something there when a hurricane hits and you end up having to fight ninjas inside a caravan that gets lifted by the you know it's being destroyed by the hurricane and you know that's that kind of narrative set piece that 
you know everyone is doing in fps shooters at, at this time fps shooters that everyone's doing in shooters at the time but it also has the brains to do the kind of slower rifling through stuff using gadgets to bring people down um i i really love this game i i thought the first one but like was bad actually uh and this is just so hugely improved like it's just a, a much tighter stealth game the rules of it are much much clearer like freedom force it has this gorgeous look to it like it's very bright day glow kind of pop arty kind of colors the character designs are slightly kind of caricatured you're fighting like evil mimes in one part and ninjas in another it's uh i, I think it's got a lot of charm a lot of character um i don't really remember how it holds up as an actual like gun feel shooter um but i don't you know it isn't known for that but as a as a kind of a big all-encompassing adventure i think this is pretty cool yeah so you can go and download this off of some uh sort of like abandonware site and i don't know if it counts as illegal because no one actually knows who knows who owns this like activision say they don't own it published by fox interactive and they're either they're definitely not bothered about games anymore so does disney own it maybe but no one cares enough to like stop you from downloading it, basically. So if you do want to go play it on Windows 10, you can do that. Um, yeah, I think that this... I did play this semi-recently, Matthew, and I, 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 it is good. But I can't say that the tone of it like properly won me over these days. Maybe this is more right. of an of-the-time yeah, kind I mean, of thing. But... I have not played it since I bought it. Yeah you know 20 years ago so i you know i can't i can't speak to that um i don't think it's i don't think it's like dubious no 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 that's uh no no it's It's not games Um, master 90s you know (laughs) no it's more that just when i was like weighing up what i would pick from uh from a monolith around this time it was the fear fear is just a standout i think so yeah yeah, well, I got both. Um, I got you know. I'm 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 I'm, I'm pleased <laughs> having a, a monolith double bill. I think that is that is respecting a studio that was like really fucking good in this space at this time. Yeah, instead of like making one open world game every five years or whatever, like it's yeah, yeah, very good, Matthew. So yeah, I, I think that's solid. Um, hmm. Is it as solid as COD two and Half Life two? Only good <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> now you've picked you've picked something quite um that's quite hard to get hold of as well so i think maybe that's got a little bit yeah of appeal, like so. if, if this was a serious product and i was weighing up what has value i uh, this this is kind of interesting but um you know it's yeah i mean yeah who knows? we'll see that leaves me with just my wild card i'm actually gonna, i'm gonna take uplink oh okay yeah good good choice uh this is introversion is it their debut game definitely an I th- early i think it is yeah yeah this is introversion's hacking simulator uh, kind of sort of based on the fancy of being a hacker, which everyone had in the early noughties because of hackers and, to a lesser extent, swordfish. Uh, do you remember that film? God, that yeah, of course, yeah. My dad took me to see that, and there's a very awkward <laughs> scene where um, he, has to hack something. he has to like hack something while someone's like messing around with his junk. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's awkward to see with your dad. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh great great memory to share yeah good yeah so um yeah i don't know anything about hacking at all in real life um but this uh, kind of it sort of treats it as this big in-world experience you know like you only ever see a computer monitor it's quite cold and clinical like the story is told purely through like the missions and things you are doing it doesn't really have a story as as far as i remember really (laughs) um and 
you know, it basically presents you with a desktop and the freedom to sort of like figure out, you know, you have a tutorial hack which teaches you the basic of like, you know, pinging things around the world through lots of different connections. And then it kind of like leaves you to sort of find your own way through this game where you you have a weird amount of freedom to sort of buy new software and hardware which are going to be involved with different hacks. There's a lot of trial and error. I remember being quite frustrated with it, but also being prepared for that because reviews sort of said, this wasn't like a 90% game. This, I think this like sat somewhere in the 70s, to be honest. But, you know, it felt sort of in its slightly cold edge in the way it wasn't explained. It felt quite authentically sort of illicit in that way in that you're kind of figuring out your sort of way around this there is something very exciting about you know trying to break into these high security sites as people are chasing you around the internet again like i've got a little bit of the matrix in that i guess yeah i just like as a sort of sort of hacking simulator i I think it, it it sort of explores it in a in a very realistic way as far as like pop culture hacking goes which was good enough for me yeah so uh this isn't the one that involves nukes is it that's a different game is that defcon that that's defcon yeah i i mean yeah. there are other games i never really got got on with that and like darwinia actually i like prison architect but um yeah this this yeah. one was like you know it even came with like it, i think it came in like almost like a fully black box with like no instruction manual like it it felt a bit you know naughty you know <laughs> yeah i think it was a proper like breakthrough indie game this as well like i remember reading a feature either in edge or piece of gamer about the idea that indie games are starting as a thing and they used introversion as the jumping off point for it so right. yeah that was some of the first times i saw indie games being discussed as a thing was around this game i believe so yeah um, I think it's a good pick, Matthew. I would never have, I would never have thought you would have picked that, but that's actually like you've gone different to me. I've got, I've tried to pick like a kind of like a weirdo game from a big developer as opposed to something that's just a little bit, you know, maybe you forgot how cool this is. Um, yeah, which I think is yeah, a good, a good strategy. You know, I think you should experience. I don't know if everyone's going to love it, but it's it's certainly something. Yeah, that's cool. Um, side note: I met in uh, Introversion once and. Um, after introducing myself, the uh, main guy called me Graham by mistake, who was the previous piece of game editor. That made me laugh. Um, <laughs> it was a very slight Scottish man as opposed to an extremely chunky English man. So, uh, <laughs> yes, good times. Um, is that all your picks? That is all my picks. Okay, so I have one left. That's uh, number, category eight, 90% plus from PC Gamer UK. I'm going to just take Max Payne, Matthew. Yep. If you can have a slightly underpowered sequel on your list while I have the other one, then we can do it in reverse as well. So <laughs> <laughs> This is just an iconic PC game. I just couldn't... An iconic early noughties PC game. When I got back into PC gaming, this was just the hot shit. It was... I remember, like... I, I picked up, like, the issue, I think, after PC Gamer reviewed this, and it was, like, top of the charts and stuff, and it was just used as a point of reference everywhere because it was just such a breakthrough. I mean, you know... Everyone had seen The Matrix. Everyone wanted to see that fucking, you know, bank lobby scene or whatever it is, that lobby scene recreated (laughs) in some kind of game form. Um, This was that merged with this really fun uh, noir pastiche. Um, Worked incredibly well. Um, A slightly longer game than the first one. Kind of feels like a bit more gamey and a bit less sort of narrative-y, I would Mm. say. Yeah. very much it feels like of the time in terms of like the level design whereas the second one has this much more elaborate um 
sort of like art direction applies to the level design um but i'd say the shooting is absolutely on par very very close together in terms of like how yeah, they, yeah. how the shooting feels they are definitely like um two pieces of the same thing i don't think a person would play one without the other matthew would you agree with that yeah, like I they are fair. yeah hence why they're both being remade together um so yeah max Payne. That's uh, that completes my list, Matthew. That was um, that was fun. Did you enjoy that? I did. Yeah, that was nothing too nasty. No, yep. No major, <laughs> no major upsets. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what the next draft will be because I think the next highest voted one was the Game Boy Game Boy Color one. So maybe we'll do that in a oh, couple of months. That's rough. <laughs> well, you just do GBA if you want, or maybe you should just do all Game Boy games. That'd yeah, be yeah, maybe just get like game. I'm yeah, original Game Boy. I don't know. <laughs> it gets thin yeah. fast, I'd say, in terms of like legit greats. But yeah, you could maybe do GBA and GBC together instead. That might be uh, mm. the way to go. Because when you look at black and white Game Boy games, I don't want. Actually, I don't want to upset upset Ashley Day. Plus, is that James Bond game we're always banging on about? So. Yeah, well, that's it. That's 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 the that's the king pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe one category should just be original Game Boy game. That that might yeah, actually be pretty okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, this has taken shape. See, we're just coming up with episodes inside an episode now. Um, let's do the rundown of our categories, Matthew. So do you want to do read the category name, then your pick, and then I'll yeah, read my absolutely. pick? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I preface this by saying, think of this as a whole collection. Don't focus just on the direct comparisons. <laughs> That's all I ask of you. <laughs> Very good. FPS, FPS category one, I've got fear. <laughs> I've got Half-Life 2. <laughs> FPS Category 2. I've got No One Lives Forever 2, A Spy in Harm's Way. I've got Call of Duty 2. Category 3, 4X Game, God Game or Sim. I've got Black and White. I've got Rollercoaster Tycoon 3. Category 4, Online Game. I've got Return to Castle Wolfenstein. I've got Star Wars Jedi Knight Jedi Academy. Number 5, Strategy. I've got Freedom Force. I've got Command & Conquer Red Alert 2 plus Yuri's Revenge. <laughs> Uh, category 6, RPG. I've got Baldur's Gate 2, Shadows of Arm, and Throne of Baal. And I've got Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Number 7, Immersive Sim. I have Thief 2, The Metal Age. I have Deus Ex. 90 plus from PC Gamer UK. I'm hoping Max Payne 2 is a 90 plus. <laughs> and I have Max Payne. Number 9, Wildcard. I've got Uplink. And I've got Anachronox. And number 10, free pick. I've got Star Wars Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast. And I have Warhammer 40,000, Dawn of War, with, I think, two expansions. Mm. So, nice. quite close there. Quite yeah. close. Yeah, well, like, Half-Life 2 will win it. Uh, Half-Life 2 and Deus Ex is a, like, we all know. We all know, we know our list is too well. <laughs> I thought it was tilting one way at the start, and then I think it tilted back a little bit, which I think is is good. I think after you picked Jedi Outcast, I did wonder, oh, maybe this will, maybe I'm just going to try and snatch up a bunch of stuff here. But I think the civil way has resulted in two quite balanced lists, you know. Yeah. Whereas if I'd have if I'd have had Thief Two for that free pick, that would have been just harsh for no reason. I think so. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I think that's that's good. So people can vote for that, Matthew, at Backpage Pod on our pinned tweet. That will be live on Twitter by the time people are listening to this. Um, the t- the poll will be up for a week. Afterwards, we'll talk about the winner. I'll also add to this episode description who won. Um, but Matthew, I always enjoy drafting with you. That was good. Excited to be on um, <laughs> to have less baggage in our next draft after doing like a sequel draft for the first yeah, time. Yeah, listen, so, uh, I don't think the baggage 
no, no. Re- really ugly head with this one. No. I think we're we're fine. Um, <laughs> you know, was I, was I going for a tie fighter moment with Jedi Outcast? Perhaps. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you also? Did you um, almost pick SWAT four? Because I thought about that. Oh, uh, I didn't. No, I just don't have any experience with it. Yeah, it has some like cool environmental design elements to it and st- mm. stuff that like you could you know you wouldn't call Bioshocky, but you certainly feel like you know accomplished first person sort of shooter team made this so mm. i did think about it but i couldn't quite place it uh, i just like i didn't want the whole list to be fps games and i've got arguably four on my list which i think is plenty so uh yeah um but i know i did think about it matthew that was that was the one i thought about plus like i mentioned rise of nations that was the other one i sort of considered too um any others that you sort of thought about that didn't make the list Ah, uh, i quite like desperados the kind of cowboy oh, yeah. version of sort of commandos uh came out in this period um I, I i think you're right about vampire bloodlines just not holding up in its original form but i think that is a super interesting game and in its form now definitely worth a look um yeah, yeah i think that was mainly it heads yeah. no not heads uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was a i think um, a game called impossible creatures where you design these weird fucking monster things that on PC gamer Tom Senior was always going on about. I thought about that for Wildcard actually, mm. um, but I didn't quite. I didn't. I didn't play. I didn't have the experience. There was um, Homeworld Two as well, which is if you like space games and RTS games combined, very very good. Most of the games I just didn't make them my list were RTS games. I just didn't have the space for Warcraft Three, for example. I know people liked that at the time. Mm. Not really a big Blizzard guy personally. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, you get World of Warcraft begins in this period, but I don't know what, how it is in this period. Yeah, I think that people have a lot of nostalgia for this period of it because it was so new, so fresh, so well done. Right. Uh, relative to, I guess, what the MMO was at the time. But I don't have any of that experience. And all of my, I don't know, I have like a lot of people who I've met over the years who have like had their lives impaired by being addicted to that game. So I will also say, I do actually, by the way, the funniest part of this podcast is the idea of your mum coming in while you're punching a cow. That's pretty funny. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really thought about for Wildcard the movies the the oh, Iron Head game I, I, that was my backup in case you took Black and White for strategy. Yeah, see, I thought I could uh, probably get away with Wildcard for that because it was so it sold so badly, didn't it? It was like a notorious yeah. flop. But um, but yeah, that's uh, that's such a super interesting game. That should totally be on GOG or something. Now it's kind of annoying that it's sort of lost to time. Those that and Black and White. So. Mm. Those are the honourable mentions, Matthew. I might do a follow-up tweet in the little thread just saying those so people know that we've name-checked a few more things and so we sound like we know what we Just to doing. get the PC hardcore off our case. That's it. I don't want people tweeting us about World of Warcraft. If you're thinking about doing that at home, don't bother. Just, you know, <laughs> nothing, we'll all have a better nothing life. Nothing gets you muted faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, straight into the abyss there. Um, so, Matthew, where can people find you on uh, social media? Mr. Basil underscore pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts. Uh, as mentioned, um, go to the pinned tweet uh, back page pod. I will post up the full list of this again, um, just in case you need to hear it back. In fact, Matthew, maybe we should just do one quick recap here. So I'll just read out the name of the categories and you just drop yours in. So FPS 1, Half-Life 2. Uh, I've got uh, Fear. FPS 2, Call of Duty 2 for me. No One Lives Forever 2, A Spy in Harm's Way. Category 3, 4X Game, God Game or Sim. I've got Rollercoaster Tycoon 3. Black and White. Category 4, online game, I've got Jedi Academy. At Return to Castle Wolfenstein. Category 5, strategy, I've got Red Alert 2. Freedom Force. Category 6, RPG, I've got KOTOR. Baldur's Gate 2, Shadows of Arm. Category 7, I've, Immersive Sim, I've got Deus Ex. Thief 2, The Metal Age. 
Category 8, 90% plus from PC Game UK, I've got Max Payne. I've got Max Payne too. Category 9, Wildcard, I've got Anachronox. Uplink. Category 10, free pick, Warhammer 40,000, Dawn of War. Star Wars Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast. We're done. Let's get out of here, Matthew. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.